Welcome to The Human Beat. I'm Roger Rucka. For more than 40 years, economist Ernie Nimi has investigated and described the relationship between the natural environment and local economies in Oregon and elsewhere. Nimi, president of Natural Resource Economics, spoke before North Coast communities for watershed protection recently about some of the economics of logging in Oregon. He discussed logging profits, taxes, jobs, wages, and economic impacts on local areas. What follows is a recording of that talk, edited for time. I'm Ron Byers, a member of the North Coast Communities for Watershed Protection. We're a grassroots group working on water, air, and forest issues. Tonight, we have with us Ernie Nimi, president of Natural Resource Economics. We've asked him to help us better understand the economics of logging and the impacts on our communities. So with all that, uh, I'd like to turn it over to you, Ernie. Here's what I want to talk about. The first thing is that if you look at a classic economic indicator of goodness, the return on investment, the evidence increasingly shows us that investing in conservation yields a greater return than investments in resource exploitation. This has very real, very concrete implications for those of you who want to manage your water resources, your watersheds, uh, and the ecosystems around your communities. If we apply that general message to logging in Oregon, then the evidence shows us that the social costs, the cost to society are greater than the private benefits. Now, what that means is that all of the rest of us are paying money to the shareholders, the Wall Street shareholders of the industrial timberland owners. Now I wanna emphasize that for number one and number two, I have asterisks there. I'm talking about at the margin. So I don't want people to go away and say that I'm saying that all logging is bad or that all resource exploitation is bad because that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that at the margin, we are making bad decisions when we allow resource exploitation and don't do conservation or when we allow more logging rather than less logging. And then the final message is that looking forward, these inequalities will become more severe. The key concept here is that because of the ownership, the property ownership laws that we have in our society, people make decisions to benefit themselves. Economists talk about that as the internal decisions and the internal and private benefits that people try to maximize when they are managing timberland. But we all know that when people are managing to maximize their private benefits, they impose what economists call external or social costs on everybody else. So let's talk about return on investment. I assume that all of you know what the IPCC is, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Many of you may not know that there is an analogous organization called the Intergovernmental Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services 
that has equal weight, equal standing, and is concerned about changes that are threatening the existence of human society around the globe. The United Nations Environmental Program, just a short while ago, in a very important paper called Making Peace with Nature, observes from the research that has been accumulated in this IPBES that the environmental changes from climate change, biodiversity loss and pollution are impeding our progress towards the very things that we want to see to improve human well-being. And this is not just out in the developing countries, this is right here in the United States as well. And what this means is that the well-being of today's youth depends on both an urgent and a clear break with the current trends of environmental decline. We are in a biodiversity ecosystem crisis that is commensurate with the climate crisis and overlaps the climate crisis. Well, economists have been looking at this because the implication is that if that's true, then we have been overusing mother nature. We have, it's been free in effect. And we all know that if you have access to free donuts, you eat an extra donut that you really don't want. Well, the same thing is true of timber companies. If the environment, if the water, if the species, if the ecosystem services that we get from a forest, a healthy forest, if all of that's free, then they overconsume it. And what the research is increasingly showing and what it will intend in increasingly show in the future, I'm sure, is that if you look at the benefits, the private benefits and compare them to the social costs around the world, we have typically passed the point where the benefits exceed the cost. That is to say, the reality is the base assumption we ought to be operating from is that the cost to society exceed the benefits to the private shareholder. In our lifetimes, we have not thought of it that way. We have always assumed that private industry, private business will generate benefits. And yeah, there might be some bad things to society, but it's up to us to prove that the bad things are bigger than and should restrict industry's ability to do what it wants to do. What this research is showing us is that the core base assumption now is turned upside down. We ought to be talking to our legislators. We ought to be talking to our members of Congress. We ought to be talking to our governor. We ought to be talking to our neighbor that the presumption is that when we have actions that degrade the environment, the social costs will benefit, will exceed rather, any private benefits that result from that action. And it will get worse. For those of you who really like to dig into this kind of stuff, I strongly recommend you look at this report called the Dasgupta Review after a very famous economist. This is a report that was commissioned by the UK Treasury to look at the economics associated with biodiversity. 
And this is really tough, tough stuff. But this guy's a really smart guy. And basically what he says as a rough approximation, that when we invest in resource exploitation, exploitation, the cash profits give us a rate of return of about 5%. If we invest, however, in resource conservation and, and restoration, the return is about 19%, even bigger than that because of problems in the data. We don't realize these returns on investment through profits, we re realize them through ecosystem services. Ecosystem services is just a fancy term that we use to describe nature's contributions to human well-being. So nature gives us benefits for free. And so we're looking at every time we use nature to and exploit it, we give a rate of return of about 5% and we give up a rate of return of about 19%. And that's just stupid. Now, for centuries, we have assumed that the private sector and resource exploitation is a good thing. Yeah, we'd like to have a really nice environment, but it doesn't work out that way. We're just gonna have to sacrifice it a little bit in order to have the wonderful things that private sector economics can give us. And so we expect to see people continuing to have that simple way of thinking that is wrong and will be even wronger in the future. It's up to us then to have the right way of thinking, even though it is complex, and to move forward down that path. So let's talk about some of the numbers. There are about 6 million acres of industrial forest land in Oregon, 6 million. Now, I calculate, the industry doesn't tell us, but I calculate that the profits per year to shareholders, most of whom are on Wall Street, is about $1 billion per year. I don't mind if you want to quote Ernie Nimi said this, but I think it's important for you to be able to think it through so you can say it on your own. So we have 6 million acres. If each of those acres is worth $1,000, then the total value of that land is $1 billion or $6 billion. 6 million acres times $1,000 per acre, $6 billion. But it's really say about $3,000 per acre. So instead of $6 billion, it's six times three, get out your fingers and count them out, Six times three, it's $18 billion. Well, it's actually more than $3,000 per acre. So round it up to 20. $20 billion is shareholders' investment in those timberlands. They expect a 5% rate of return. 5% of $20 billion is $1 billion per year. That's about $170 per acre per year that they earn. They've been whining a little bit about how they can't pay more taxes, blah, blah, blah. And yet lumber prices are going through the roof. They're actually, these $170 is low at the moment. And oh, by the way, about 40% of that probably goes to foreign shareholders. 
because foreign shareholders own about 40% of the shares on Wall Street. So $170 per acre per year. Now, a lot of that logging that's out there destroys riparian wetland and aquatic habitat. The social cost when that happens is $1,000 to $8,000 per year per acre compared to the private benefits to Wall Street shareholders of $170 per acre. You ought to have total confidence that the social costs of logging at the margin far exceed the private benefits. We all are being ripped off. You should not be hesitant about this. You shouldn't be sort of, well, I don't know, this guy Ernie Nimi said this. No, these are really big numbers. $8,000 per year versus $170 per year. A lot of you, of course, are very concerned about water. We don't have good economic numbers about water. We'll get them uh, in the next few years, but here's what the research shows. I'm sure all of you know this, that industrial forest lands produce less water than old growth forests. That water happens to be a lot hotter, which means that an awful lot of species that would like to have cold water can't survive in it. And I find this to be just a beautiful, scary as hell photograph from 2017 of the US coast, North American coast. This is a phytoplankton bloom off the coast. When we have these sorts of blooms and you want to go out there and eat some, some clams or whatever, crabs, whatever, it's going to kill you. We're going to see more of this because of climate change, yes, but also because the water coming off of the land, 6 million acres, is hotter than it should be. This is an incredibly powerful set of maps. I believe. Comes from EPA in 2015, so it's before the Trump nonsense. And it looks at the extent to which water in streams and rivers is cold enough to support salmon and other cold water fish. The map on the left shows that without climate change, all the way through this century, almost all of Oregon, except for a little bit along the edges, the streams would have cold enough water to support salmon and other cold water fish. But with climate change, almost all of Oregon will not. And oh, by the way, where you live on the coast will be especially hot. And that logging, sending hotter water down the streams will make it even worse. Having grown up going to the coast as a child to fish for salmon. Catching my first steelhead was a, an event that changed me from a boy to a young man in my family. It was a rite of passage. I cry when I see this, when I first saw this map. These are social costs that result when private landowners maximize their management of forests or forest lands to maximize their profits. This is some research that comes from Oregon State University last year. 
And basically it says if we can get 100,000 coastal coho per year more, that's about doubling the population. And we can do that with less logging, especially less logging in wetlands and riparian zones that affects the aquatic habitats and rivers. And by having more beavers out there, a lot more beavers out there, the benefits from that would be half a billion dollars per year. That's a stunning amount. It gives you an indication of a lingering social cost that has resulted from past logging over however many decades that has destroyed that habitat and its ability to support these species. Let's talk about climate change a little bit. Uh, this diagram comes from High Country News uh, who summarized research coming out of Oregon State University and uh, from John Talbert in uh, Lake Oswego. And basically it shows that <coughs> Oregon's annual CO2 emissions, and that's not all carbon dioxide, there's some methane and other things in there, but if you convert it all to CO2, we emit about 100 million metric tons per year. And more than one third of that comes from the timber industry. We know that that CO2 from logging goes into the air, changes climate, and it does really bad things from an economic perspective. It imposes costs on everybody for 100, 200 years. So in order to get $1 billion of profits for shareholders on Wall Street, primarily, their actions throw $14 billion of costs onto future generations. Now we're gonna see new estimates of the social cost per ton coming out in the Biden administration. And there's a lot of uh, argument over this, but this gives you a, you know, a, a general order of magnitude. Social costs exceed the private benefits, not by a little bit, by an awful lot. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have to cut down trees so that we have jobs for timber workers. So let's talk about that. The wood products manufacturing industry, that is to say the mills, currently employ about 23,000 workers. Loggers are much smaller than that, but you know, maybe it's up around $30,000, 30,000 workers. That's out of about 2 million workers total. So the wood products manufacturing about 20,000 out of 2 million, it's about 1%, a little bit more than that. But here's what's happening. As we go to those little bitty logs, those little bitty logs don't require very many people. And so the number of jobs per million board feet, that's MMBF, the jobs per million board feet have gone down from more than 12 uh, or about 12 at the turn of the century to now by 2012, it was down to about six and it's gone down from there since 2012. Cut it in half. One way to think about this, if you go back to 2000, if you go back to 1990, on average, so it isn't every year, it's on average, these 
job losses occur in big bunches, but on average, this industry has eliminated 1,000 jobs per year over the past 30 years. But they sell an awful lot of goodness in the legislature and in the state house in the governor's office by persuading people that they need to cut trees in order to provide jobs. And what about wages? And if you go back to the 1970s, 1980s, the timber industry paid a premium of about 30% compared to all other workers in the state. Why? Because those mill owners and those logging operators were good guys? And by the way, they were guys. No, because we had really powerful unions. And those unions and these industries extracted higher wages. So yes, a high premium for people in that industry. But as the industry unions have weakened, and they are, no, no resemblance to what they used to be, it's now that, that premium has disappeared. What that means is that the industry reached into the back pocket of every worker and took away $15,000. No longer gonna pay a premium, we're gonna take that premium back and keep it for shareholders. What about taxpayers? Prior to 1990, the industry had persuaded the legislature that it was so important that it should be able to avoid paying property taxes. That's carried over. And oh, by the way, the reason that they gave for this is that it would persuade the timber industry to grow bigger trees. So that instead of cutting at about 65 years, they would let their trees grow to about 85 years. They're now cutting at about 45. What I see coming down out of the, you know, past my house, it looks like they're cutting at about 30 because lumber prices are so high right now. So by avoiding paying property taxes, so they would grow their trees longer, they are scamming the legislature and they are scamming you and they are scamming me about $230 per year per household. An awful lot of talk this year about severance harvest tax. This is post-1994. If you look at this graph, the peak, 1993-94, that's dropped by about $80 million per year. Now that gray, they will say, and in fact it is, it's called a timber harvest tax. It's about $10 million per year. But that doesn't help anybody else except themselves. This is the industry timberland owners paying from their left pocket into a fund so that it can go back into their right pocket. So some of this money went to OFRI to be their lobbying arm. Some of it goes to fund professors at Oregon State University to figure out how to log trees even younger. Some of it goes to fight fire on their lands. Another thing, so basically we've lost about $80 million a year. This is since uh, 1990. These are quotes from Dominic Della Sala. Many of you know him. He's a very famous, very competent, very 
highly regarded biologist out of uh, uh, Southern Oregon, out of Ashland. Logging is not going to help us get out of this fire mess. In fact, where you have industrial plantations, that is to say clear cuts and then trees planted on those clear cuts, those are the areas with the most severe fires. Instead of logging, what we ought to do is actually manage these, fire, these, these lands for climate safety. What that means is that we don't cut big trees, which are on, on public lands, and we get the trees on those private lands to grow bigger. What, what I can contribute is to help people understand that this is truly costing them money. And that this is truly imposing tremendous costs on people around the world in our name. And that the industry through its lobbying is lying and has been lying for a long, long time. It lied when it persuaded the legislature to exempt them from property taxes, arguing that if you do this, we for sure will grow our trees to be at least 85 years. And now they're cutting them at 45 and 30. And they knew that. They lie when they say they have to log in order to generate jobs, for there to be any employment in uh, communities, in rural communities throughout Oregon when they are cutting a thousand jobs per year over 30 years. And when they are reaching into those workers pockets that are still there, the pockets of the workers who are still there and they're taking $15,000 a year out of their pockets to the shareholders because the workers no longer have powerful unions. So, I mean, you, you go into the state politics, you go into national politics. We have a president now that appears to be very pro-union, strengthening unions. That sounds like a good step to me, not just for workers in those mills, but for all of us. Uh, we have a president putting an emphasis on climate change, acting very quickly. Now, an awful lot of that is focusing on coal and oil and on having electric vehicles, I get it, I do understand that. But the thing we can do right now, the only thing that we can do right now to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere is grow trees. Now, a lot of people say, well, okay, the way we do that is let's go out and plant a lot of trees. Well, yeah, you plant an awful lot of these trees that are this, this big, and even if they grow 100%, they're just this big. What we need are trees that are 45 years old out there and let them grow to be 100. That's some real carbon. And for crying out loud, let's not ever allow another big tree on public lands to be cut down. We've been listening to economist Ernie Nemi discussing the economics and impacts of logging in Oregon. He spoke recently before North Coast Communities for Watershed Protection. I'm Roger Rocca. Thanks for listening to The Human Beat. We'll be back next month on the second Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. <laughs>